Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 144, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, Principal Christina Pollard tells us what's working and what's not in this new world with coronavirus, and we'll talk about how a software company is connecting millions of teachers and parents during the coronavirus shutdown. Stay with us. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, what will school look like in the fall of 2020 when the coronavirus is still lingering? Our guest gives us his prediction. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by my co-host, principal, and local hero to a lot of students and families around the area, Christina Pollard. Christina, how you doing? I am doing very well, despite the differences right now. Right. Yeah, here we are. So we're in week two with the COVID-19 coronavirus, and um, last week for your district was technically spring break, but this week you guys got back at it. So I kind of wanted to follow up and see like, how did this week go? We were recording on Friday, March 27th, and this is going to turn around and air at the start of next week, but it just is kind of a recap of this first week back in school for you. Tell me what you experienced. Um, this week has been emotionally, there's been highs and lows, but I will say that our district leadership um, has been on top of their game. We immediately reported back all principals and district leaders um, back to the office. Of course, we were all in our own offices. And we started with planning meetings, making decisions on meal um, delivery for all students in the district, um, making decisions on who, what, when, where, and how regarding academic packets, um, how to keep the building sanitized, training that would be needed by our nursing um, team, and it's it's been very productive. Um, by Wednesday, we had mail delivery organized and set up, and we rolled buses from three different um, locations within our school district and fed every child that was available to be fed. Some children have gone to um, grandparents' homes in different school districts or whatnot, so we weren't able to reach them. We've also divided up our teachers by grade level and content across the entire district, assigned them to different principals, and we conducted Zoom um, planning meetings to develop our lesson plans or academic work, whether it's digital or, or on paper for our students. And so we are actually, as of today, in the process of finalizing academic work for next week. Right. Um, I feel like I've been doing way more with my energy being a virtual principal versus, you know, the day-to-day operations of running a school. It really has felt nonstop with calls, texts, emails, Zoom meetings, 
you name it. Yeah. And, and my brother always tells me he runs a restaurant. He always says it takes 30 days to create habits. And so really, I mean, it's going to take a while before you guys get into that routine and that habit of this Correct. new world that we're living in. Um, you know, I've been following you on Twitter and, and we've been texting back and forth a little bit. One of the hardest things I think that you've probably had to figure out is, as you mentioned, meal delivery. So let's let's dive into that a little bit. I've seen this done different ways in different districts just from kind of tracking things online where some districts are having... If you want a meal, drive to the school. We will hand you one outside. It's the grab and go pickup. Right. But you guys are doing it. You're taking that a step further. You're, you're meeting them in their neighborhood, correct? Correct. We have to consider, um, you know, logistically how difficult it would be for parents to um, reach the meal sites that were designated because, of course, we're not using every school building. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, we have to consider the poverty levels in each area to determine um, just how many meals you need to provide. And so our district leaders felt that it would be um, more impactful if we did meal delivery instead of grab and go. Um, so uh, my school was actually a host site for two schools, my school and, a, and our sister school. And we had all buses lined up by 9 a.m. Everyone had to have their temperature taken. We had to be properly trained on how to wear our N95 mask, how to distribute the 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 meals, the the supply, um, the su school supplies that we wanted to give away, as well as the academic packets that we had prepared. We went through all of that training, and by ten fifteen, the first bus began to roll out to deliver those meals. We made sure that the drivers did not have to come off of the bus. We had a certified person on the bus and an assistant or two certified um, to help deal with that meal delivery. I mean, that has to be hard because I mean, all right, you serve tons of lunches every day out of a cafeteria, but you're, cook you're cooking the food in the cafeteria. Here, you're having to, I guess, package it differently, load, yes. it, load it onto a bus, and then distribute. Like, how hard was that? Was it as hard as it sounds in my mind? It was very difficult um, because we served one school first. They have about 500 or so students. Once you literally separate those meals by bus route numbers, because that's how we ran our buses. We literally just drove our normal routes, stopped outside, honked the horn, you know, waved hello. We love you. We miss you. Here's your meal. Um, and so once we got those first 500 meals out, then you had to do a turnaround to prepare the 300 meals needed for my school. So, yes, it's difficult, but we... If you ever wanted to see a beautiful picture of teaming and family and hard work and focus and commitment on children, mm -hmm. then you should have watched our assembly line um, packing these meals. Because what we're doing in our district is we are doing meal delivery twice a week. So on Mondays, the children will get two meals. And then on Wednesday, the children get three meals. So our first meal delivery was a three meal delivery per child. How has the response been? Are they just anxiously awaiting your arrival? Or, or how's that? I personally rode a bus. Okay. Um, I chose to row to ride the bus that was running two of our largest um, routes, it, the, as in the number of children living in that area or along that route. And the very first route I rode was to an apartment complex where I know for a fact I have about 90 children just there in that apartment complex. And when we turned the corner and pulled in, they were all waiting. And it was so overwhelming and so emotional. But let me tell you about respect, 
and order. They waited patiently for us to place everything the way we needed to place it to keep it spaced out and safe for them to retrieve, for us to pass out. And, you know, they were calling my name and I just kept saying, I love you. I love you. I miss you. I love you. I can't touch you, you know, but to see their smiling faces right down to my pre-K babies, um, you know, because I have, I do serve pre-K on my campus all the way up to eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And it was just, just wonderful seeing those parents and hearing them tell me how grateful they were as our team was working up and down um, the parking lot in that first on that first bus route. The parents were very grateful asking what could they, they do and of course just reminding them to stay informed, answer our phone calls, respond to the text messages and phone calls from the teachers, stay on social media to keep up with the information that we're pushing out but more imp- importantly focus on your children. Keep them emotionally grounded because this is waters that we've never crossed before. I mean, that, that experience of, of seeing all your kids at an apartment complex. I mean, that sounds Mm -hmm. emotional for me and and they're not my students. Like, how are you? Like, how did you react to that? I I think my adrenaline was, (laughs) it was so high that I kind of was having an out of body experience as we just, you know, we, we quickly um, was, you know, preparing all of our resources as to how we were going to pass them out. I had school supplies in, a con- in multiple containers and, you know, and I placed them in certain places along the parking lot so that they could, you know, a few at a time go and get what they needed. And we we delivered our meals through the back of the bus. Um, and so we were able to help them practice their social distancing as they picked up the different things that we were providing for them. But I wanted to hug and grab and just love my babies like we do every day when they arrived to school and and I could not. And, you know, smaller children tend to call your name and tap you (laughs) when they're calling your name. And I did have one baby that came towards me and he was going to tap me. And I put my hand up and I said, stop. And I think it startled him. And that broke my heart because they're used to hugging me and tapping me and, you know, pulling on me, whatever it is. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. And, um, so to have to say, you know, stop. It's hard. Yeah, it, it was very hard. It was very hard. When we finally finished that stop, it took us about 20 minutes when we finished that stop and we got back up on the bus to um, to go back to the school to get our next route ready. We all were kind of silent and it it, it blew us away because, see, I I remember when we missed a month of school after Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I saw my students again, and, you know, it wasn't a health issue where I couldn't touch them. I hugged every last one of them. And all we did was focus on their feelings and their emotions and how it made them feel. And, you know, just trying to get them back together before we could even begin to push academics. And here we are trying to feed them, love them, address their social emotional needs and keep their classwork going so that their parents feel like they're receiving what they need as well. And and trying to keep parents encouraged. So, okay, it's without a doubt. So important what you guys are doing just in terms of meals. We haven't even gotten to academics yet, but having done this, seen this, participated in it, is it sustainable? I mean, can you guys keep up at that pace? Can you pull this off? And did, did you have any lessons learned from doing it those first few days? We don't have a choice but to pull this off. We don't have a choice but to keep this going. We have to do what's best for children. Um, in the event that something occurs that makes us change our procedures, that's what we do. We immediately reflect it on, um, you know, how everything 
kind of went down, what we did was we took a tablet on every single bus route. We wrote down um, one person was responsible for taking notes on issues, not having enough of this or that or any questions or concerns that parents had. We came right back and we had a district administrative Zoom meeting um, the next morning very early to address you know, anything that had a glitch or didn't go exactly the way that we wanted it to. But we considered our day one of meal delivery a success. Um, every child that needed a meal got a meal. And so we made some adjustments. They're still working on that now through the child nutrition department um, under the leadership of our superintendent. And so I believe our next meal delivery is Monday. And I believe it's going to go even better. And I'm going to ride a separate set of routes for Monday. By the time the end of the week is over next week, I will have had an opportunity to see every child that's been at a bus stop. Wow. And that's my goal. Well, and that's why I opened up uh, this episode saying like you and, and your team, you guys really are heroes to a lot of, a lot of kids and families uh, in, your, in your communities around your school. Now, how has the academic side been looking so far for you all? I want to go ahead and put a shout out and kudos to all of the teachers in the Forest County School District because their collaboration, their support for one another has been unparalleled. Um, our assistant superintendent basically assigned one or two grade levels to every principal. I was assigned seventh and eighth grade and I immediately, you know, got a list of all of the seventh and eighth grade teachers in our district, set up different Zoom meetings, um, pushed out the agenda that we all followed in regard to focusing on standards, not overwhelming parents and students, um, spiraling instructional skills that have already been taught, um, focusing heavily on the skills that, you know, data tells us we're still struggling with to give them what they need. And then identifying leaders within content areas within each grade and then allowing them to break off into smaller groups to collaborate online, on the phone, uh, via Zoom, Google Meet, however they chose to do it, and then reporting back to me what they've identified, what they've discovered. And then we've set up some Google folders um, with access for everyone to review. And then now I'm in the final review process where they're submitting their uh, week's worth of classwork by grade, by content for the two grades I'm assigned to. And then I'm doing what you consider lesson plan approval like we do normally. And then the final approved packets will then be pushed out to everyone else in the district for distribution for next week. Okay, so you let's focus on seventh and eighth grade, because that's what you're going to know best in this situation. So what does a typical day look like for a seventh or eighth grader? Well, they are going to receive um, classwork in the areas of reading, language, math, science, social studies, and cyber foundations, which are all required by MDE. And, and I mean, are they expected, like, w w how do you envision a seventh or eighth graders day to be at home? Are they going to be, you know, furiously working for three hours, an hour? Like, what do you expect? Our from goal them? was to give them two or three hours worth of work, but not for it to be, you know, just so overwhelming where they could not complete the work. There's two things we have to consider here. Some students in our district have internet access and devices, no problem. Some students have internet access and no devices, and we are also working on a process now at each school to, to provide Chromebooks for our students. But then we also have a population of students who do not have internet access, do not have devices, and are unable to come and pick up a Chromebook. So we are pushing out classwork using Google Classroom for all of those that can access, you know, can get to it. Mm -hmm. But then we are also preparing paper packets for students that will go out on our bus routes every single week. 
Is grading a thing? No child left behind, but, you know, no pun intended. Right. Well, well, is grading a thing in this world, or is it more just do the work? Um, Grading is a thing. We have not finalized exactly what that will look like. That was one of the bullet points on our agenda. What we wanted to accomplish first was um, a district-wide collaborative PLC for the lessons to be developed, get them distributed electronically and in hand, um, perfect that process. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to have more Zoom meetings to discuss what will be graded, how will it be graded, how we will get the work back, because we don't want them dropping off packets. Again, those families that have access can take pictures and submit the work back to the teacher, or if the assignments are in Google Classroom and they can access it, they can complete it that way. For those children who don't have that opportunity, we still need to have a conversation about how we're going to make sure that they receive credit for their effort and their work. I know so that'll be something we can talk about next week. I know you're really active on, online on Twitter and you follow a lot of other educators. Have you, no one knows what they're doing for, for exactly. I mean, they're doing the best they can. They're, they're trying to adapt, but have you seen any right. ideas out there online where you oh. thought, Oh, that's good. That's listen, what sticks out to listen. you. The professional learning network in this world is unbelievable. I belong to multiple groups. Some um, are closed groups on Facebook full of admin. I'm in some content specific groups. And then again, on Twitter, I follow so many educators. I don't really use it big time for personal social networking. I really use Twitter to connect with educators um, all over the world. And if I see an idea, a strategy, an assignment, a website, a piece of software that would be effective in our area, I absolutely um, grab it and share it. And is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you can share with us right now? Um, I'd like to talk about Symbaloo. Have you ever heard of that? No, I, I don't know that one. Okay. Symbaloo is a website that allows you to have what's called website mixes. And so it puts every single instructional resource that your school either subscribes to or uses for free in their classrooms. And you send one link out to parents. When they uh. click on that single link, there are icons for all of the different I'm looking um, at it now. Personal resources we use. Right, yeah. And I learned about that from another administrator. That's great. Okay, so that's a good tool to kind of share in this episode here. And I just went to it. And I mean, you you can look like, it's almost like a dashboard. You can build a dashboard of resources, I guess, is probably the best way to describe it. It's a bunch of buttons. So you can have Google Classroom, Gmail, YouTube, Netflix, PBS Kids, whatever, I guess, that you can really build a button for. And it brings you there. So that's really slick. So then you can just send out that one link to all your parents. Yes. Very slick. Okay. So what else have you learned this week? What has jumped out at you and been like, okay, you know, wh- I hadn't thought of that. This is working. This is a good idea that we're using. Or maybe what has been something that you thought we're going to do this and you realize this is not going to be possible. We're going to have to go a different route. I think just the initial conversation across our country about this distance learning, I think that has really been unpeeled by the hour. Um, because so many people don't realize or understand the digital divide across the nation within a district, within a school. Another thing that has really stood out for me is how we serve students with special needs. Um, Generally, students with IEPs receive some type of um, instructional support, whether it's inclusion within the classroom or it's, you know, tutorial, it's pull out. How are we going to serve these children? And so one of the things we had to quickly um, adjust was um, communicate with our special needs students' parents 
um, make adjustments to the IEP because now the IEP that's in place is no longer valid because we're not having instruction in the classroom. It's distance learning and or, you know, packets in your hand. So making adjustments to how services will be provided and documenting that within the IEP and then ensuring that parents have access to their child's special education teacher, um, if necessary, to ask questions, um, still giving them more time to complete the work if that's one of their accommodations, reducing the number of questions if that's an accommodation. So that's something that's been eye-opening this week. I want to say across the nation as we figure out how do we meet the IDEA regulations and not violate IEPs. And so we've just been constantly looking for feedback to come down from the feds through the state to make sure we serve our students. Well, Christina, uh, again, you are doing some amazing work this week. Uh, stay safe out there. I know that you're, you know, you're coming in contact with a lot of people with what you're doing. Just, just promise me you'll, you know, do everything you can to kind of keep a distance and, and make sure you're healthy because that's that's really what matters at the end of the day. I wear my N95 mask every day. I have a crate in my car with all types of sanitary um, items to help me keep my truck disinfected. I wear gloves. We are constantly um, sanitizing every area of the main office, which is where the secretary and I are operating out of separately. Um, And it's just so funny. I almost have to operate like our medical professional. Um, My husband is high risk. And so when I get home, it's too much information, but it's just the truth. It's what medical professionals have to do. But as soon as I get home, I have to remove all of the clothing and hats and shoes and things that I've worn in public and at work and immediately go and, you know, shower and sanitize and wash those clothes and just try to protect my family as I'm out trying to serve my school. Yeah, I I understand completely. I'm kind of, uh, you know, the same way, same personality type as you, I think. And when I come back from the grocery store now, I've created Mm -hmm. this method and it was from a, a doctor I saw on YouTube of where you like clean off your entire countertop mm-hmm. and you I, I don't let any plastic bag come in my house and then every item goes on one side of the countertop and then I have this like imaginary line in the middle and I am cleaning or removing boxes and stuff and moving mm-hmm. it to the other side of the countertop and nothing until it's I guess you can say sanitized That's makes right. it to the other side of the countertop and I know that seems That's extreme right. but it's it's because of this it's coronavirus. You got to protect your family, and it's and it's that slow period of knowing if you've been infected that is so frightening. I also think we're learning some practices that we can extend even when this finally goes away. Um, one day is that we need to, you know, take your shoes off. Those families that practice, right. you know, Zen and keeping toxins out of their home, they never wear their shoes in the house. And so that's just something that is a new practice now for many of us. It needs to continue. And then I'd like to encourage you, Nick, to keep a bottle of, um, Lysol or bleach and water mixture uh, right at your door so that you can sanitize things right there before you come in. Oh, you know, you know, I've got that under on lock over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely, because yeah. we are a lot alike. <laughs> yes, that's right. So again, Christina, hang in there. We're so proud of all the work you're doing, but stay healthy and uh, we'll follow up with you next week and see how things are coming along. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Are you ready for today's right idea? I sure am. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is the CEO of School Status. Since schools closed for the coronavirus, Russ Davis's company, School Status, has proven to be a lifeline for educators and parents around the country. School Status is now helping facilitate over a half a million conversations between teachers and parents every day. Russ, welcome back to Class Dismissed. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm great. I say welcome back because for those that don't listen all the time, you uh, were a longtime co-host on this show in the early years. And... uh, 
Yeah, I can't imagine, though, what uh, you've been going on through <laughs> and with over the past couple of weeks. I mean, you, you have to be extremely busy with what you guys do. We're incredibly busy. So I would say that I've been running uh, School Status for about seven years. And this, with a bullet, is the busiest we've ever been under any circumstances. And so um, on any given day, you know, we're sending out our text messages back and forth and phone calls and things like that. And now we're seeing seven and eight hundred percent of that normal traffic that we would usually see on a day. And so it's just incredibly busy. Right. Yeah. So you're a data company, but you've also, I guess, a few years ago, three years ago or so, you shifted into this communications company where you offer districts the ability to to have these conversations between teachers, principals, whoever, and parents. But everything hides the actual user's phone number. So like the the parents don't see the educator's real true phone number, but it also allows for this like one-to-one conversation. Am I explaining this clearly or am I like just babbling? No, no, you've got it pretty much the pitch. Uh, we'll have to put you on payroll at some point. Right. But, um, but yeah, so essentially uh, we're a data analytics platform that uh, we started about seven years ago and, and you hit the nail on the head about three years ago. We, um, you know, we were doing data pretty well, but we wanted to give teachers something that they could do regardless of what resources that they had. So we did a lot of research into things that were effective uh, in education. And one of the most effective yet the most, one of the most underutilized methodologies is communication. Uh, we think that there's great power in reaching out uh, a parent uh, and teacher reaching out to one another and talking about the success of a child. And so, um, so we added a little green button that said call that was the first thing we did. And then tons of people clicked that button and they heard, uh, turned their computer into a speakerphone, basically. And they could reach out to parents for the first time without giving up their cell phone number. And that was years ago. And since then, we've sent millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of uh, text messages back and forth, which are our most popular feature because, you know, everybody texts, no one calls. You'd think that, but we're currently completing about 30,000 phone calls a day right now. So it's um, it's wow. incredible. You were already busy before coronavirus and everyone got separated from their students. But yeah, I think you kind of mentioned this. You've seen what type of spike, like what was a normal day of messaging like before this and where are you now? I mean, we were sending a few hundred thousand messages, um, which is, you know, a very respectable number. I mean, when we started out, we were sending like 10,000 messages. And then we said, oh, we'll never send 40,000. And then we sent like 80,000. And then that became, you know, 200,000. And this so is now this is a day, right? This is a day. Yeah, this is any given school day. Yeah. And um, so now we're sending very close to a million messages a day. And so we're doing as much traffic in a week as we previously did in a month. And every month we're doing a, over a quarter's worth of traffic. So the thing that's really surprising, though, isn't just the the um, you know the volume of messages. It's when it's occurring. So I'll give you a, a, another example. On Sundays, we typically see about uh, fifty or sixty thousand text messages between our districts, and um, now we're seeing three and four hundred thousand. So you know the teaching profession is. Um, you know, it's very busy, but I think it's really showing right now that it's pretty much 24-7. I think, you know, this being the new normal, teachers really have to kind of meet students and parents where, where they are. And just because some parents aren't working right now doesn't mean all parents aren't working right now, right? So Sunday may be the only day that they have off or Sunday at 10 o'clock may be the only time they have off. We're seeing messages happening at 1 and 2 a.m. Wow. Uh, when people are coming off of late shifts or graveyard shifts. Um, they're still talking about their child and teachers are answering that call, which is amazing. Now, your, your application, like you said, it started off on a desktop, but you obviously guys have uh, moved it to where you have a, a phone application as well. But And you added pictures too, right? Are you seeing um, 
parents exchanging, I guess, like call it homeschool work or assignments between teachers at this time? That's exactly what we're seeing. And so, um, you know, everybody has, so we like to say like your parent already has your app on the phone, right? Cause like, there are lots of schools that are trying to get people to download third party apps. Like they're trying to get people to download Remind or Class Dojo or whatever the case may be. And there's a huge barrier. It also assumes that, uh, parents have, uh, a, you know, a non feature phone, right? They don't have a candy bar phone. They have an iPhone, right? Just because I have an iPhone, therefore everybody has an iPhone. That's actually not true, especially in areas of high need. Which we serve, um, we serve nine states. We serve some of the poorest counties in the nation. Right. I know Christine so, has talked about a lot of her parents have Go phones, essentially like just phones that you're correct paying as you go. Absolutely, yeah. They have uh, either subsidized phones or Go phones, um, and you know some people may have an iPhone. It you just it just depends, but you cannot assume that. But every every even a candy bar phone can send and receive picture messages. And so teachers can share work and they can also send, uh, parents can also send work back. And so some of my favorite um, messages that we're getting on Twitter right now are from people whose parents are sending student work um, back to teachers so they can, they can see it in real time, which is just amazing to me. Now, you guys, we're going to get a little bit into the nitty gritty here, but, but you actually integrate with a school district's, I guess you'll call it a sys. Like, so the teachers already have all the contact information they need, right? Correct. Yeah. So we integrate with Assist, whether it be PowerSchool or Infinite Campus or you name it, right? We integrate with almost all the SISs that are out there. And so we pull that data in uh, on a recurrent basis so that the, the data in school status is always as accurate as the data within their SIS. And so we pull all of their um, their parental contact information, their preferred contacts, their cell phone numbers, and then we actually show our customers on the screen so you don't try to text a number that isn't a cell phone. Let's say it's a landline number. And one of the things we've learned in this crisis, uh, just as an aside, is that I'm talking to lots and lots of school districts, and they don't students don't have cell phone service at their house, right? So that's why that connection is even more important that they can call the landline and talk to them at home because they don't have internet at home. So they're sending home packets and going over those manually. So you know we like to say whether it be you know by cell phone, by regular phone, or by carrier pigeon, we can reach them. What is the response that you're hearing from teachers and educators in the field? Like you said, somebody has, you've seen posts on Twitter. Like, what are you hearing? I mean, you know, it's it's incredible. I mean, t- to be honest with you, it's very moving. Um, I have a hard time talking about it because whenever you start doing this, you know, you think you have a good idea, but you never really know until you have market adoption. And, you know, you, you kick along for a long time and you feel good about the work that you're doing. But whenever something like this happens and all of a sudden people are using it and and it's critical to their learning, right? These kids and these parents and these teachers would not have this kind of triangle relationship uh, without our software right now. It's just not possible. And so it's, it's just very moving. So we're, you know, we're hearing a lot of folks saying like, Hey, you know, this is the best thing that's happened to us right now. We're so glad that we have you, of course. But the things that really touch me are whenever, you know, teachers or principals or superintendents reach out to me one on one and they show real examples of people using it. Of course, it's doesn't show the name or anything like that. So there's no FERPA issue there. But they show me the communication that's going on and it's real and it's lasting and they're building relationships. We're a big fan um, of the book by Simon Sinek, Leaders Eat Last Year. Mm-hmm. And it talks about people forming um, communicative bonds and the uh, the hormones that are associated with that. Um, oxytocin and I forget the other one, the stress hormone, uh, cortisol, excuse me. Um, and so we're seeing lots and lots of oxytocin right now, even though it's a stressful situation. And for those of you that don't know, oxytocin is the bonding hormone 
Um, it's the hormone that whenever you look at your child for the first time is coursing through your body. Um, and it's the, uh, the hormone that allows you to create lasting human bonds. And cortisol is the opposite of that. It's a stress hormone. Um, you can imagine, and, and they can't coexist together. You can't have lots and lots of cortisol um, um, uh, paired with uh, lots and lots of oxytocin. It just doesn't work like that. Even though there's lots and lots of uh, cortisol flowing around, which is the stress hormone, mm-hmm. um, districts or teachers specifically are still finding ways to create those those lasting bonds. Um, um, and, and that's amazing. Like That's amazing that they're using our software to do that. So it's just incredibly touching, and we just want to get it right. We want to make sure that we're available 24-7. We want to make sure that any time that day or night, if somebody's getting off that graveyard shift and they have a question um, about what's what's going on, we definitely want them to um, – we definitely want them to – you know, be able to have that conversation at any time. And so I think every tech company in the world right now is stressed in the terms of scalability. Like, have you had to work through any challenges there? I mean, I've seen stories of the internet is like literally bursting at the seams. You know, the way that most systems are architected, it's for about 50% utilization is kind of the max. So for instance, on any given day, let's say that we had 200,000 messages sitting through our system on any given day. Um, if that number suddenly jumped to 400,000, which is a double, right? Mm-hmm. We have architected our system so that it would, um, you know, recognize that and it would still be fine. But whenever you start seeing seven, eight hundred, 900% traffic daily, you've got to make some manual changes in order to do that. And so the last two weeks have really been for us, um, enabling, you know, enabling that change so that things are auto scaling now so that whenever we see bursty traffic, it's the system automatically scales back up. And whenever that traffic goes down, the system scales back down. And, um, that's to keep, you know, it economical, but also to keep it reliable. And so we have not seen any of the millions and millions of messages that we've sent and received since this. We've not seen any indication that, um, we've lost a single message in this process. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Now you are in, do you know how many districts you guys have by chance? Uh, we have 143, I think. Okay. So as you, you know, you have 143 districts are giving you all this feedback, like, Hey, this is working great. We're so glad we had this, especially during this time. Uh, what are you seeing other districts that don't have a service like you using? I mean, how are they communicating as far as you can tell? They're begging people to download apps. Yeah. Um, please, please download this app so I can talk to you. And so we just don't know if that's a good long-term strategy. I mean, a lot of people have kind of stopped buying for right now, so they don't want to throw anything new on. And I completely understand. But unfortunately, we think, and I think if you listen to you know Dr. Fauci, and if you listen to a lot of the epidemiologists that are talking right now worldwide, they're saying that this is the new normal. Um, this you know coronavirus, the uh, COVID nineteen, is going to be around for a long time. And I think that schools are going to have to adapt. I mean, we've shown that we're incredibly adaptable, right? The delivery model for education in the United States changed two weeks ago. And I think school districts are doing a pretty damn good job at, at you know, pivoting and making those changes, right? Let nobody say ever again that education doesn't change, right? right. We've changed very, very quickly. But I think that the tools that people were thinking about buying um, two, you know, two months ago, I don't think that they're thinking about buying those things now. So I don't know that anybody's reaching out and buying a ton of you know new Promethean boards right this second. Right. I think that they will eventually, but I don't think that they're particularly helpful right now. I think people are trying to bridge those gaps between um, the home and, and family. Another thing that we're seeing a lot of, which I, I it gives me great 
kind of anxiety is that people are just saying, well, I'm emailing, I'm emailing, I'm emailing, I'm emailing mm-hmm. them and, and I'm getting some responses. Well, yeah, why anxiety about that though? Well, I mean, think about those. I mean, I talked to a very large district of ours that, you know, you would think that they're, they're an affluent district. They do very well. And you would think that every single one of their families is connected to the internet. And we were kind of brainstorming ways. I said, well, just do, you, what you need to go out and do is buy like a thousand hotspots um, for cell phone access. Mm-hmm. And they kind of paused for a second and said, Russ, they don't have cell phones there. And I said, I- I'm sorry, everyone has a cell phone. He goes, no, no, they totally have a cell phone. They just don't have service at their house. And so what are the chances of that person driving 200 yards up the road to the top of a hill in order to get their email to respond to a teacher? It's virtually nil. Right. So you have to reach everybody where they are. You have to assume that everybody doesn't have internet access right away or doesn't have this. And so if you can't reach them by text and you could pick up the phone and call them. And what we found is that it's like 99.9% or 99.8% um, have some sort of telephone coverage in their house. You guys specialize in that one-to-one conversation. So like, I guess a teacher um, can, you know, connect with a single parent, but what do you guys do when you need a teacher like to, to reach the whole class or all of their classes? Well, there's two functionality, two functionalities at play. One is called broadcast, and broadcast allows you to do is create a group message, but not a group message in the typical sense. So, if you send a message out, you can send the same message out to a lot of parents, and they when they reply, the other parents don't see their responses. That's, so you can kind of get away from that's that pretty mob. Slick. Yeah, you can get away from that kind of like either mob mentality or you know, I I've got 32 kids running around. I don't want to see every single response. So it's just about, I know whenever I get this message, it's just about my child, right? And then the second thing is a feature that we've been working on for some time, which is now, of course, been, you know, we've pushed up the delivery deadline, which is a a feature called Notify, which allows like principals or superintendents to send kind of, you know, mass messaging. So they don't have to log into a a Blackboard Connect or another, you know, kind of blast messaging tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also plan on making that so that whenever schools do go back to some sense of normalcy, we can do like attendance notifications and things like that. And not just saying, hey, your child was absent today. Say, hey, your child was absent today. This is their fifth absence. Whenever kids get to seven absences and they have a 50% chance of repeating the grade. Like giving parents, not just saying, hey, this is a thing, saying this is a thing and this is why it affects your child um, people have been sending mass messaging the same way for since 2000, whenever everybody pretty much got one of these systems. And so, um, you know, we just want to disrupt that. And we think that there's a lot of, you know, people are leaving a lot of yards out there on the field, um, by not utilizing these tools that they already have, not using it, you know, using them in a smart way. Your, your mom was a teacher. Your, your sisters are our teachers. Um, you've been in education for 15 plus years. What is, what's your prediction? Like, I think it's, I think we're all kind of on the same page that if your school hasn't closed for the year, it's probably going to happen. You would agree with it's that. It's closed right? for the year. Right. I think we're at a hundred percent now. Right. And so what should schools expect this year and what should we be thinking about next year? You know, uh, what worries me is like, we're kind of like, I don't want to say writing off the year. Everyone's doing the best they can to get their education out there for this year. But like you said, we hear Dr. Fauci talk about possibly another cycle spinning up in September or October of next year. I mean, what yeah. should we be preparing for? Well, I think two things. Um, one, I, I did want to say that even though not all states have said that they're not going back for the school year, like I live in Mississippi and our state is not, hey, we're just, yeah, we're just playing, it, playing it by ear. It's, it's done. Like we're, this goose is cooked and we're not going back to school this year. That's not happening. And that's a pipe dream for anybody that says that they are. Um, so the second point I want to make is that this is a new normal. And until we have a vaccine for this, 
um, and people are vaccinated in mass and we encou- encounter some sort of herd uh, immunity, mm-hmm. uh, which generally approaches 70 or 80 percent whenever people start getting herd immunity, um, then this is going to be the new normal. I am um, I do feel better about the fact that the rapid testing is now getting into the market so that whenever you go to your whenever you go to your doctor and you have flu like symptoms, they typically give you a flu A and BSA. And then give you um, a, uh, usually a swab you for strep as well, just to make sure. Mm-hmm. And that happens at the doctor's office, and they have the results in about 20 minutes. Whenever we have that portable testing and we can get results in about 20 minutes, what I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see school starting late, but I think they're going to start in August. And then I think they're going to be doing lots and lots and lots of testing. Um, I right. think they're going to be doing spot checks. I think that whenever students go to the nurse's office and they're not feeling well, I think that they're going to be checking those students. And instead of seeing entire districts or society as a whole, like we're current seeing, currently seeing, I think you're going to see schools shut down or buildings shut down, right? Yeah. And they're going to clean that building and then they're going to test every single person. And then anybody that pops positive is going to stay home. And then they're going to open school back again. And that's that means that the delivery model for education we have to continue to have this kind of dual-pronged approach. Our State Board of Education um, president in Mississippi recently spoke or spoke yesterday, and he talked about how, hey, if we if we play our cards right, there will never be another snow day again, right? We won't just close school hmm. because there's a snow day. Wow, I have not Don't heard anyone say that yet. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was pretty smart, right? And he's got him, Jason Dean. I've, I've met him. He's a really impressive guy. He's, you know comes from the business side of the house and is smart. But I think that that, man, I, I heard that. And I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely right. So instead of we're closing school for a week, hey, guys, tomorrow we're transitioning to online classes for the next six days, and then we're picking it right back up. Yeah, um, this I is think interesting. That, the, the, you're yeah, the first person who has had this, like, I, I've talked to you about this. This is really, keep going. I'm sorry. No, no. I'm just saying, like, I think that that's the new normal. I think that we're going to continue to bob and weave. And instead of completely shutting down society, you know, we're going to see this kind of hybridized system of education delivery. And you're going to see that everywhere. You're going to see that, hey, everybody's working from home right now, or anybody that has a desk job's working from home right now, you're going to continue to see that. Whenever people, let's say that your child comes home sick, they tested positive for coronavirus, they're going to do contact tracing and they're going to say, okay, well, you work at school status. And now everybody works from home for two weeks until we, and everybody gets tested. And then we open the office back up once it's been deep clean. Right. Like, I think that that level of containment is the only thing that works. And that's kind of like the, the Singapore model, which is like rapid, Singapore never closed their schools. They had rapid testing almost from day one and they tested literally, you know, anybody that could have been possibly exposed and they contained it as quickly as possible. And they made those people stay at home and they let society continue to work. And to this day, they've still never closed school, I don't think, for a day. And I actually saw a picture out of Singapore where I think they were, you know, like you said, they knew that they were having a case here, a case there. But they also had all the students with these, I don't know how effective it is, but they had like dividers on all the desks. Like the, these yeah. like prop up, almost like you were hiding from a test, <laughs> taking a test where you put that yeah, up. Sure. But I guess just to kind of keep that spread of germs in the classroom. But I, I think, yeah, it, which, I think you, you're spot on to say, like, you know, if we could test rapidly, we could say, all right, we have one case at the school. Oh, no, we have five now. We're shutting down, you know, and yep. that may be the future. You're right. Or they test if somebody pops positive in their class, they test every every kid and every class that that person had. Right. So right. like we can immediately can can determine that. I also think there's going to be a lot of social distancing going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the things I want to impress is I saw an article. People, some people are taking this seriously, and other people aren't taking this seriously. I saw an article in the New York Times yesterday that said sixty people went to choir practice, forty-five came down with coronavirus, and one is dead. 
Wow. And that just shows you, and they think almost everybody there got it from that choir practice. And they said that they were practicing social distancing rules. They weren't shaking hands. They, they weren't six feet apart, which I think is a really critical part. Right. But someone may have sneezed and they were in an enclosed room and all of a sudden it was everywhere. And so that's just how much it spreads. It's not like measles. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that small where it can um, stay. Um, I, what I try to tell people is like, Coronavirus isn't measles is like the fog. You ever right. like walk around and it's like an aerosol and it's fog. Yeah, I think it's like 15 it. people get sick for every one that has it. It's, it's that's huge. right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so small that it's suspended in the air. It can live for a long time. Coronavirus isn't that coronavirus is basically the rain, right? Mm-hmm. Like whenever it rains, you may see like a little sizzle from the pavement, a little fog coming up for a little while, but then it goes away very quickly. That's kind of the same thing about coronavirus. And so we have to, we have to adapt as a society. The president, I rarely say these words, is right, in that we can't completely shut down society forever, right? That just doesn't work like that. So we're going to have to find a way to adapt, and education is going to be a huge part of that. The, the close to 200 districts that you guys already had, they, they were already up and running with you guys before this hit. So they they were ready to go. They were already using y'all's service. They were familiar with it. But just say somebody's listening or somebody calls you to, today or tomorrow and says, Russ, I, I've got to get y'all's communication. I'm not even worried about the data at this point. I just need to be able to communicate sure. with, with my parents going forward. How quickly like can you bring a district online for just communication? Yeah, if they're using a sys that we already integrate with, like PowerSchool or SAM or Infinite Campus, or you know any of the any of the big sisters that are out there, um, we can typically if we have an existing integration, we can onboard them in a matter of a day or two. Wow. Um, they could be okay. you know we told a district that was using a known sis, um, I think it was last Thursday that we could have them going by Monday. Um, you know we're willing to put. We understand that this you know this time is is pretty scary for districts, and they're just trying to figure things out. And we know that they've stopped buying everything for a while, right? But we we also know that school districts are going to continue to buy things that they need, and we think that they need our service. And so we're also going to be very adaptable. A full integration may take you know six to eight weeks, but we can get at least the um, the student rosters, the classrooms, the con- the uh, contact data, all that stuff synced. And then we can start pulling in these ancillary data systems. But I do want to make a point, Nick. Right now, like you said, a lot of districts are kind of, you know, a lot of states are like, yeah, we're going to do the best we can and we're going to throw in the towel. I will tell you that in my opinion, data, right now everybody's focusing on communication. Mm-hmm. Think about this for a second. Data will be even more important if I can't see the student, right? If I cannot physically observe the things that a student is struggling with, I'm going to have to look at the data from Google Classroom or or, um, uh, Canvas or Blackboard or whatever LMS they're using, seeing if they're logging in, seeing if they're getting these things. Like the data is going to become as important as the communication data once again. And that's something that I think a lot of districts are kind of like putting in the back of their mind. I need something to communicate right now. The data part, the other piece of our software is going to be just as important, if not more important coming up because you'll be able to see what's going on with individual students without having to physically observe them, which is typically the way that we've taught. You know, we see someone struggling with something or we look at their graded paper and, you know, you don't have a lot of nuance with this, right? Either they got the answer right or got the answer wrong unless it was a free form question or they didn't attempt. But you can't sit down and talk with them like you could before um, and, and, you know, kind of ascertain their their mastery of a subject. The data is going to be incredibly important coming up. Well, even more important than it was. If somebody wants some more information, uh, the website, it's uh, schoolstatus.com, correct? Absolutely. Schoolstatus.com. There's a number on that page if you want to call us or you can email us at 
um, info at schoolstatus.com. We can absolutely get anybody that wants to get up and going. We've been actually not doing that um, over the past two weeks because we wanted to stabilize our existing customers. But as of next week, we're completely open for business and taking new customers. Well, that is fantastic, Russ. And, uh, and kudos to you guys, because uh, with a flip of a switch, it looks like you you all were able to work from home. And, and I think, I mean, it looks like some, I've seen some great stories out there, like HEB Grocery, for example, over in Texas, yep. how they saw this coming. Um, I know you guys have been watching out for this for at least a month, right? Yeah, for about a month. Um, whenever we started seeing infection outside of uh, the Wuhan area of China, we were paying a lot of close attention to it. I'm kind of a paranoid guy by nature. Um, so to me, this is like years in the making, right? So whenever we started seeing it spread uh, more aggressively outside of that region, we said, this is coming. It's not going away. Whenever it got to Europe and kind of exploded, that's whenever we really put our plans in place. We had some, you know, already some things that we were already working on, but we got very serious very quickly about ensuring that everybody had the resources necessary to work from home. And now we've put in some things that we're going to keep, right? We we're just talking to our exec team today. Like we do daily standups now where we spend five minutes every morning just getting started for the day. What do you need? What are you working on? Um, what do you, you know, what did you work on yesterday? What do you work on today? And what's in your way, right? Those are the three questions we asked. And we were just talking today, like, we're going to do that even when we go back to our offices because we think it's really important. So like anybody else, just like education, we're learning um, and we're trying to figure this out as well. All right. Again, schoolstatus.com. And uh, you've been hearing from Russ Davis, the CEO of School Status. Russ, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Have a good one. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed. <laughs>